Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. So what is the sermon today? It's all about the fact that you and I use 800 million words in our lifetime. I don't know who counted them, but it's on Google. It's got to be true, right? 800 million words, the average person speaks in a lifetime. Most of the words are idle chit-chat. How's the weather? What team won? Any reading good books lately? What's the favorite movie? What's your favorite food? Come on. Jesus spoke 30,000 words in his lifetime that's recorded in the scripture. Lazarus, he would tell you the most important word Jesus ever said was, Lazarus, come forth. The woman who was about to be stoned for her sin, remember? And Jesus spoke to her and said, woman, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Most powerful words she could have ever heard. How about Matthew? Matthew heard these words. Come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Were those powerful words? Yeah. How about this? The woman with the issue of blood, she reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she gets to hear these words. Who touched me? Those are powerful words. It identified her. It gave her significance in that moment. And Jesus spoke three words in English, translation, but one word in the Greek. And we're going to see it today. The most powerful word Jesus ever spoke. John 19, verse 28, 29, and 30. Later knowing that everything had been, what? Finished, so the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. And so they soaked a sponge in it and they put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, What did he say? It, it is finished. In other gospels, it says this, this with a loud voice, like he spoke, Lazarus, come forth. With a loud voice, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his life or his spirit. The cross is a miracle. And Jesus speaks this word on the cross. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. The word of redemption, and many of you know this word, is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Let's say it together. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. In the Greek, it literally means it is finished. It is complete. Now, I'll tell you what. It is, it is finished. John 19, 13. It is finished. And the church, especially in North America, has been trying to add to the power of the cross for centuries. Oh, yeah. You get saved by believing in Jesus and making sure your hair doesn't touch your collar, guys. You get saved by believing in Jesus, ladies, but you can't wear pants. You get saved by believing in Jesus, and you must speak in other tongues in order to be saved. By the way, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I even believe in speaking in other tongues when we pray and when we worship. But that is not the sign or significance of how you get saved. You get saved by believing in Jesus Christ and confessing him as Lord and Savior. That's how you get saved. That's how you get saved. And the church says, well, we're going to add a bunch of stuff. You must, oh, I know what you do. And there's a pastor, I won't tell you where he uh, pastors, 
that you are saved, and then you must give your 10% tithe if you don't, not all of you tithe, right? I wouldn't know because I don't look at the records, the giving records of the church. When I was 22 and took my first church, my mentor pastor said, don't look at who gives what. Because if you have any flesh in you, you'll want to treat your big givers extra nice, and you'll get ticked off at the ones who don't give anything, yet expect a lot back from the church. So I don't look. So all of you here are the biggest givers. Good? That's all I know. But some pastors preach, oh, if Christ is your Savior, then you're going to give 10% to the church. And that's the whole thing about money. See, I don't think we're, we're saved by anything we do other than believing in Christ. Now, because Christ lives in us, he changes us from the inside out. We want to become generous. We want to serve like Jesus did. We want to give our time, talent, and treasure to God. But that's not a prerequisite for being saved. Well, pastor, how do you know that? Because the thief on the cross, he's right next to Jesus. He's hung up. He can't get to church. He has a real legitimate excuse. Pastor, I won't be in service today, right? I can't get there. I'm hung up. He never made his first Holy Communion. He never got sprinkled with holy water. He never tithed. He never served at the post-game party. Come on. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? I believe you're the, come on, you're the what? Oh, you're the son of God. And Jesus says to him, this is so cool. Jesus says to him, it's not even in the sermon, I'm just, just going with the flow here. Jesus said to him, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that cool? He's going to die in a few hours. And Jesus is going to take him to heaven with him. This is great. Well, <clears throat> unless you do this or that or the other thing, you can't go to heaven. Unless you go to church. By the way, you don't have to go to church to get saved. Because you are saved, you should go to church. I think church is a great thing. That's why I'm here. I got one more service after this. Come on. I'm going to do it. I won't have much voice left by the third service, but I don't care. It is finished. What's finished? Everything you need to be saved has been accomplished in Christ. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He's still teaching. He's still blessing. He's still saving. He's still restoring. When he said, it is finished, Pilate said, great, my headache is over. It is finished. Religious leaders said, good, our competition is gone. It is finished. I think the devil and all the demons said, we got him. We got him. Little did they know that on the third day, he would rise again from the dead. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it is finished. See, when Jesus was 12 years old, Luke 2.49 says, why do you seek me? See, Jesus was hanging out at the synagogue, looking at the Torah, the living word, looking at the written word. And, and Mary and Joseph say, Jesus, come on, we got to go home. He says, uh, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? What was his father's business? His father's business was seeking and saving everyone that was lost and bringing people into a relationship with God himself. To Tetelestai. Tetelestai. The servant would say, my job, master, is completed. I plowed the field. Tetelestai. The artist would say, I painted the picture. My last stroke. These are words that they would use in the time of Jesus 
The accountant would say, the debt's been paid in full. You've paid your taxes to Telestai. The carpenter, of which Jesus was one, would say, I built the table. It doesn't wobble. You don't need to put a napkin under any of the legs, right? Right? It's solid. It's square. It's done. To Telestai. It's finished. It's complete. The priest would say, to Telestai, when he would come and sacrifice the lambs and the doves for the sins of the people every year at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. To Telestai, to Telestai, your debt's been paid. It's been paid. And while Jesus is on the cross, he shouts out with a loud voice, to Telestai, and anyone listening would have understood. It's finished. It's finished. John 19, 29, and 30, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received it, that's when he said, it's finished. Wine vinegar, very bitter. Jesus took on the bitterness of all of our sins. Just think of all the things you've ever done that are disobedient to God. Jesus took them, all the sins, from the first person, Adam, to the last person born, to the last end, the last breath of the human race, and he bundled them all up and took all the bitterness of sin upon himself as he dies on the cross. And they took the hyssop plant, very significant, because in Exodus 12, 22, it tells us to take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, and put it on the top and the sides of the door frames of your house because the death angel was going to pass over. And any house that had blood on it, any house that had blood on it, the death angel said, I can't touch that family. It was a type of Christ. It was a, a, a picture before Christ would come of what salvation would do. The blood of Christ. Hey, can I ask you a question? What covers your family? What covers your life? See, what covers my life is the blood of Christ. Because on the cross, he sheds his blood. That's Scotch guard, don't worry, it's okay. On the cross, he sheds his blood. On the cross, he takes all of his life-giving blood. The Bible calls him the second Adam. The word Adam in the Hebrew is Adam, of blood. The same blood that flows through your veins and my veins and Adam's veins and Eve's veins. Flow through the blood, the veins of Christ, and he sheds every drop of blood for our forgiveness of sins. What covers your life? Well, I'm American. <laughs> I'm proud to be an American. Listen, America can't cover your life. Yeah, but I'm a Smith. I, I, I did my ancestry. I, I come from a long line of... You come from a long line of sinners. See, not only do you have your own sin, take all your sins and bundle them up in a big old satchel, then you have this other thing to contend with. The minute you were born and people celebrated you as they slapped you on the behind, right? You took your first breath. Wah! You know what the devil was saying? Another human born into the fallen race. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you take the fact that you're a human, you take the fact that you're a sinner, and you take all of that to the cross of Jesus, and you apply his blood to your life. 
I believe in Christ. He's my Savior. I confess with my lips that he is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, and I am saved. The Hebrew word for tetelestai is the word nisham, like, like your knee, and sham. And sham comes from the word shalom, or to make peace. That God is working in us. In the Greek, this is a past act with a continuing force. On the cross, tetelestai, it is finished, a past act with a continuing force. He continues to save and to heal and to deliver us. The second thing, number two, is the work of redemption is the debt has been paid. This should be so exciting for us. The debt's been paid. How could I ever pay for my sins? I can't. You can't. We can't. The debt's been paid, but in Christ it's been accomplished. Second Corinthians, the apostle Paul says in 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be what? Come on, sin for us. So that in him we might become? You want to just take a breath for a moment? God took all of our sins and put them on his son Jesus. And it's called the great double exchange. I give him my sins. He gives me his forgiveness. I give him my unrighteousness. And he gives me his righteousness. I thought about all the costumes the other night. I looked at somebody that I knew they had a mask on and some kind of overcoat. I couldn't tell who they were. Finally, they lifted up the mask and said, hey, Pastor B, it's me. I said, oh, cool. I, I didn't know it was you. Put the mask back down. You look better that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what Paul the Apostle says? We put on the righteousness of Christ. See, if you went home today and you got some makeup and some different clothes on, maybe a wig, you could change your look. But here's what the Lord wants us to do. To take the righteousness of Christ, and it's more than a costume. It's who we become. We put on his righteousness over us. So God looks down and he sees me. He says, there's Bernie. And I say, yeah, Lord, aren't you impressed? Aren't you impressed, God? I can preach. I can play the drums. I can organize parties. I, I'm pretty smart, God. I have a high IQ. I took a test once. They said, I'm brilliant. Are you impressed, Lord? He said, Bernie, you're so handsome. <laughs> Lord, why am I handsome? Because I see my son in you. I look down and I see Bernie covered with the righteousness of Christ. I see all of your sins washed away, Bernie. You know what you did that summer? I know what you did last summer, Bernie. <laughs> Just think about all, well, don't think too long. All the things you did that you regret. God says, I have made you whiter than the snow. He looks down and he sees us justified, just as if we'd never sinned. He sees us wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. If you're saved, if you're not, he just sees you on your best day with your best accomplishment. Lord, I have this degree. Look at it. Are you impressed? Huh? 
God says, I made your brain. But Lord, I think great, yeah, I made your brain. I gave you the power to have thoughts and wisdom and be creative. You think you're creative on your own, Mr. Big Shot, songwriter, actor, actress? I put my hand in my pocket one day, and I took all the stars and flung them in the sky and gave them all a name. Are you impressed with yourself? Yeah, Lord, I can launch rockets from Vandenberg. Oh, you mean that little puff I smoke I see every once in a while? Yeah, and we can bring the rocket and, and, and land it and repurpose it. Yeah, wow. I took dirt and put two holes in it and went like this, and it became a man. Can you do that? Well, we can clone stuff. You can't clone nothing. Yeah, we can. No, you can only clone because you start with the stuff that I made. You take DNA, you take matter and molecules that I created from nothing. And you do stuff with it in test tube. You think, whoa, look how great we are. And God says, you know the best thing about you? The best thing about you is that you've allowed Christ to be your Savior, your debt to be paid, the righteousness of Christ to be upon you, his holiness for our unholiness, my dead life for his abundant life. Man, that's a deal if I ever heard of one. And for some people, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of life. It's the power of transformation. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins. Where? Hey, you know the best thing about me is? My sins aren't counted against me any longer. Oh, man. When I said earlier in prayer today that God hasn't run out of grace and mercy, he's not sore, he's not impatient, but here's something that we have been given, the message of reconciliation, and here's where I want to lean in and talk to you people that are saved. We have a message to declare, and it's not a political message, sorry. It's not a message about life and social status, though, though you feel free to do that. You have freedom of speech. But in this, we have no freedom of speech. We've been assigned the message of reconciliation. What is that message? That anybody can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's our message. So we say, well, I vote Democrat. I vote Republican. I don't vote at all. I'm, I'm pro-cannabis. I'm anti-cannabis. I'm, I'm pro-Chevrolet. I'm pro-Ford. <laughs> I'm pro-Prius. Everybody should have an electric car. I like the smell of gasoline. <laughs> Unburnt Chevy gasoline. It just smells good in the morning. The message of reconciliation. What is that? It's the message of the body of Christ. We don't get to vote on it or not. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's reconciliation. Tell your friends they can be reconciled through the power of the cross, the finished work, to tell us die. See, God does not count our sins against us, but counts them against the finished work of Christ. Not held against me, but against Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors. That's the human condition. But with the, come on, 
with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Christ was perfect when he went to the cross. Why? He had no sin. He never sinned. Somebody wrote a book that he sinned. Guess what I think about the book? Malarkey, which is a Latin word for baloney. Uh-huh. He brought us life in him. Listen to these two phrases. So important. Write them down. My greatest work cannot add to the finished work of salvation on the cross. The best thing you ever did, the thing that you accomplished, the class that you, you graduated from, you got your PhD, you're so smart, God bless you, but you can't add to the finished work of the cross. Oh, better yourself, go to school, get promoted. You know, if you're in the Air Force, become a general, God bless you. Generals have good retirements, become a general. Don't forget to tithe on your retirement, longboatfoursquare.com. Anyway, <laughs> my greatest work, isn't that great? Because if it was climbing a mountain, if it was achieving an accomplishment, what if we started a day late? What if we didn't get the 7,000 foot elevation, but we got to 6,999, and the Lord said, in the words of the great old Maxwell Smart, you miss it by that much. Some of you go, Maxwell who? Forget it. <laughs> My darkest work of sin cannot subtract anything from the finished work of the salvation of the cross. You on your best day can't add to the cross, and you on your worst day cannot subtract from the cross. Isn't that good? Oh, pastor, I told a big lie, then I had to lie about the lies I told. I couldn't remember which lies I told, and I got myself in a lie. I was a liar. There's a movie coming out called Good Liar or something. Like, I need to watch that. Can I, can I just say this again? There's nothing that's gone too far that God cannot redeem. I prayed with a gentleman out at the penitentiary years ago. He had uh, shot and killed some people. I preached at the chapel. It was a Saturday morning. He walked up to the podium. He, he was this tall. His hand, one hand was this big. He said, I got something to tell you. I thought, oh God, hope it's good. He said, I gave my life to Jesus in here. I'm never going to get out. He says, I'm not, not using Christianity as a crutch or trying to get before a parole board. I'm never getting out. I just, I just need to tell you how I believe I got saved, and I need you to tell me if I'm right or wrong because I don't want to go to hell because I read somewhere, thou shalt not commit murder, and I committed several. I Okay. And he held my hand. The guard was there looking. He held my hand. And I said, tell me what you believe. He said, I believe Jesus Christ went to the cross. And tears came down his face. I believe Jesus Christ went to the cross. And when he died on the cross, he was dying for the murders I would commit. Folks, this is real and raw stuff. And he said, I, I know I, I should be eternally damned that I should rot in hell. But something has changed in my soul. I repent every day of what I did. I offer grace. I ask the families to forgive me, and I know they probably can't. I've written letters to them through an attorney. I'm so sorry for what I did. And I said, 
Tell me again about Jesus. He died. I believe he died. I believe he rose again from the dead. And I said, sir, everything that you just told me aligns with Scripture that you're saved. I said, I know what they call you. They call you a murderer, but that's not what God says about you. And some people have a hard time with that because we're justice people. You should pay for what you did. By the way, God has paid for what you did. He said his son Jesus. He's just as conscious too. Go all the way back in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. Do you guys remember that they were naked and realized they, they were naked after they sinned? And what did God do? He covered them. He made clothes for them. He covered them. They, they, they had a fig leaf. God said, that ain't working because your whole hundred parts are showing. <laughs> God made clothes for them out of the skin of an animal. Where did he get the animal? God killed it. After sin entered, death entered, and we hear the first yelp in the garden. And God supernaturally kills an animal to remind us that every sin has to be paid for. And he covers them, just like he covers you and me with the blood of the lamb, clothed in his righteousness. He made really good clothes for us, the clothes of Jesus. And your darkest work of sin, this is so good, cannot subtract anything from the finished work of the cross. It can't. We'll tell you a quick story, and, uh, and then we're going to pray and get out of here, and you're going to pray that my voice holds up, right? So little, little, little Bobby and Sally, they're going to go spend a whole month of summer at Grandma and Grandpa's farm. They got 40 acres, man. They got a big pond right outside their two-story farmhouse with their wraparound porch. And Grandpa, and he's something, he's an outdoorsman. He gives little Bobby and little Sally some slingshots. And Sally is like a marksman. She can pull back a rock and she can hit the bullseye. They set up a bullseye and a bale of hay. And then and there's, there's Bobby. Bobby pulls back, hits the side of the house. <laughs> well, later on that day, they're down by the pond. And they're flinging their little rocks and slingshot. And, and Bobby gets an idea. Maybe I'll hit the ground where grandma's prize ducks hang out. And there was one duck in there. Oh, grandma would call her name from the porch, and the duck would come walling all the way up. Grandma would say, good morning. The duck, quack, 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 good morning. They would talk together. Kind of crazy the way that they bonded. And so all the ducks were down there by the pond, and, and, and Bobby had this idea, I'm just going to hit the ground and watch the ducks scatter. He pulls back the slingshot and lets it go. And it hits grandma's prize duck right in the heart. And the duck goes, quack, quack, aflac, and falls, <laughs> and falls over and dies. And Sally looks at it. What are you going to do? We better hide the duck. So they take the duck, they bring it to the wood pile, and they hide the duck. Put some wood on top of it. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Later that day, grandpa says, hey, let's go catch some trout out of the pond. Grandma says, Sally, 
why don't you come in and help me get dinner ready? And she looks over at Bobby and says, Bobby, you go make supper. Remember the duck. Bobby says, Grandma, I want to help cook. Really? Yeah, you come help cook. Okay. He goes in and Grandma, Grandpa takes Sally down and they're catching fish, working some lures on top of the water. Here comes the trout. This is, they're catching fish, two-pound test, little reel, but they're having fun. They're eating candy. down. And there's Bobby from the window working on the dinner, wearing an apron. Well, dinner's over and Grandma says, oh, 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 Bobby, you help with dinner. Why don't you go play cards with Grandpa and Sally? You come in and do the, the dishes. And Sally kicks Bobby under the table and says, you do the dishes. Remember the duck. <laughs> this went on for four days. And finally, Grandma called Bobby in. Said, Bobby, sit down and have a chocolate chip cookie. I want to talk to you about something. He said, I was upstairs, and I saw you with a slingshot by the pond. I saw you kill my prize duck. I just wondered how long you were going to allow Sally to make you her slave. Hmm. See, after you killed my duck, it said Aflac for the last time, I forgave you from my heart. All you need to do is come and talk to me. Come here, boy. Let me hug you and tell you it's okay. Hey, folks, I wonder how long you're going to let sin hold you captive. You're going to be a slave to sin. The Bible says we can be free from that. I wonder how long we're going to try to earn our way. See, I talk to people that hardly go to church or people that don't want to be religious. They're still trying inside somehow to earn God's favor. You can't earn it. He chose to love you. You get no say in the matter. He provided salvation for you, eternal life through Jesus Christ, full forgiveness. Ephesians 2.8, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. Hey, folks, it's finished. If you know Christ as your Savior, this reminds you today, you got some rejoicing to do. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, this reminds you, today is your day. Today is your day to give your life to Christ. To be religious, no. To start a relationship with him. My first church, I was 25 years old. A man had been in church 45 years. On an Easter Sunday, he walked up to me and he said, hey, it's about time I give my life to Jesus. I thought, what? You've been in church for 40, you've heard 45 years of sermons? 45 years of singing and worship and choir and excellent drumming <laughs> and shredding on the guitar and you haven't given your life to Jesus? He said, you know what? I knew about him, but I didn't know him. Hey, would you bow your heads with me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up and walk down to the front. But I am going to ask you this question. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you believed in him? The one who said it, it's finished. 
Have you believed in him, the one who can change your eternity? Have you believed in him, the one who can take your sins and make them whiter than the snow? We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.